it's fun to have you on specifically because like talking about the origins like really brings back a lot of nostalgia and just like totally it also ties everything together hey welcome to the test piece podcast this podcast is about all things high level climbing my name's joshua horsley i've been climbing for 25 years and i love staying at the cutting edge of climbing Hi, my name is Timothy Kang. I'm a pro climber, a coach, and a route setter, and climbing is my life. We started the podcast to explore and articulate what it takes to climb at a high level, what it takes to go from good to great. Okay, let's start the podcast. All right, we got Ross and Tim here from the vlog fame. Um, Good to have you on, Ross, as our first official guest. Um, How are you doing, man? It's great to be on. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, we uh, we tried it once before and had some technical difficulties, but now we got Tim here, and it wouldn't be a Ross and Tim pod without Ross and Tim. So good to have you here too, Tim. I'm back. It's working. <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm doing your pro tip. I've got a big thing of espresso here right next to me to be extra psyched to talk about climbing with you guys. Um, and yeah, let's just jump into how you guys decided to start doing a vlog and, you know, props to have it just blowing up. Like it's, it's really awesome, man. Thank you. Um, um, yeah, go for it, Tim. Yeah, I, I, I could, I guess, um, it was pretty random, I think at first, and we had been talking about, I feel like we had been talking about documenting our training at least for many, many years at Planet Granite. Um, but us doing a vlog together specifically, I think we just took an opportunity, um, we were traveling together and we're like, well, we're doing the same stuff. We're from the same area and like, it'd be cool to just do it together and kind of combine our powers. Yeah. It it really wasn't till like the morning we were leaving to Europe that (laughs) I was like, Oh, you know what? I I might as well just start filming all this and it'll be fun to look back at. And at the very least, like have some cool memories. And if not, then hopefully we can kind of edit it into something bigger. And then, after like the first week of being in Europe, um, Tim and I were talking like, let's just do this together. Like we're we're here in Europe for the next couple months. Like this is the perfect opportunity to to start something together and see where it goes. Yeah, I, I mean, from my perspective, it was definitely like a, a really cool moment for you guys. Where was it the first time you were both on World Cup, or the first time you're both on the World Cup team together? Yeah, together, but we were on different teams. <laughs> Yeah, but still, you guys represent America and traveling abroad. I don't know. It's just really cool to... I, I'm glad you guys got to to share that with normal people like me. Just seeing the behind the scenes was really fun. I was really jealous, uh, happy to live vicariously. It just made me want to go and see all those cool gyms, drink all that good espresso, eat the good pastries, and then compete at the best comps in the world. Yeah, it was a pretty unreal experience and the combination of everything you just mentioned was it doesn't get much better than that. Well, I'm happy to see you guys bring it back from Europe and keep it going. I actually, right before we hopped on here, I just watched your latest one, which was you Ross in a uh, little Cottonwood Canyon doing some high balls and sick dinos. Uh, damn dude, that, that uh, blue steel line just looks perfect. Just so good. Yeah. It's little Cottonwood has so much to offer and it's been one of the, the pleasures of being in Salt Lake City, just 
being so close to the outdoors and being able to get up into the mountains and check out some cool boulders and then obviously having the the facilities and all the gyms around here. So yeah, it's been a, a good combo for sure. Why did Zach wear a backpack? Just just didn't really cover it. Um, I mean, there was like a little uh, two second showing of him doing the first backpack ascent of this blue steel highball climb, but just just kind of want to know the behind the scenes on that one. Um, you know what? I don't totally know his his reason for it, but he was he'd already done it and was like, "Hey, you might as well make it a bit interesting and and do it with a backpack on." I think so. We always do like dared him. crazy stuff, like just randomly. We just make things harder for no reason. <laughs> yeah, they're just fun little challenges. Like I think he said to me first, he's like, "Why don't you just do it with a, a crash pad on?" Which I almost did, but we didn't really have enough crash pads to like spare a crash pad and still have a decently safe landing. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm all about. I, I like the uh, the random challenge style, but nothing's tall, and backpacks are weird. I don't know. I feel like. Uh, <laughs> That, that could have ended badly, but what it did make me think of, make me think of was, I feel like there's a clip of, uh, is it Dan Osmond, like soloing maybe yeah. like half dome and then just jumping and like having a wingsuit on. And I was like, that's, I've, that's kind of next level. That'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, actually there used to be free base, like all the time. Free base. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that is maybe something I would want to get into sometime in the, <laughs> late future <laughs> oh man i hope your mom doesn't listen to this She'll just be like, please please don't do Dude, that free, free base is like not explored very much at all um, yeah just dean, dean potter was kind of oh it's mm, dean potter yeah not dan osmond yeah. dean potter that's right dan osmond did do some like uh racing on like easier stuff like really really easy stuff with backpacks on i think just to make a day um but yeah dean potter and I'm I'm sure some other people have freebased, but uh, Dean Potter was the only person pushing it. Like he want he wanted to do hard stuff um, with a with a, a base rig on, and like he did he did some pretty hard stuff, um, but nothing like hard for nowadays standards. Um, and no one no one even considers pushing it. So I don't know it'd be it would be cool to get into, but yeah, don't boulder with a backpack on. That's irresponsible. Yeah, that's just pointless. It's not going to save you. It's not going to do anything. I, I did like you guys kind of mentioned this idea of like those big inflatable pads, like this idea that you could maybe climb routes or highballs with like giant foam pits or well, I guess it'd be like an inflatable pad. Like I always think about not just making it safer for the classic highballs. I don't know, like evolution or something, but then yeah, what could you climb next? Like how high could you go actually safely? Like could you do a 50 foot climb and actually make it like reasonably safe. I don't know. That would just be, it's fun to think about that kind of next level of technology and what it might unlock. I've always dreamed of doing bad girls club, like ropeless. <laughs> like that would be so cool. <laughs> I think, yeah, the technology really exists. Like if you look at how like big air ski, uh, skiers train, they use these huge, huge inflatable bags that are like 20 feet tall. And then they just send huge jumps into and practice all their tricks and can land however and be and be fine. So, yeah, we could bring one of those out to Rifle Tim and do some projecting on it. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I I do love thinking about the future of you guys uh, free soloing nine uh, A's. <laughs> um, but I just want to rewind the clock maybe ten years, and I I want to hear about. I mean, I want to hear about both your guys's. 
uh, beginnings in climbing and how you got into it and just how you guys met and became such a, a you know iconic duo in in the comp scene now. But yeah, maybe uh, Tim, I can hear from you. Just how did you start climbing? Uh, when did you start? And when did you meet Ross? Yeah, so it was 2012, and it was something pretty random. Um, I was 13. Um, so I started a lot later than Ross, um, at least in my life. And when I had already, when I joined, um, well, I guess, so I started climbing and then I joined the team like very, very briefly after, um, I started climbing with this guy, Sam Wilbach, and we were both hanging out all the time, just doing all the cool stuff together. We started skating together, doing like random parkour stuff together. And then we came across a picture of a climbing gym and just went one day. And then a couple weeks in, uh, one of the one of the coaches on the team, his name was Travis, kind of saw uh, me and Sam and were like, oh, you guys should come check out the team. Um, and that's probably when I saw Ross for the first time. Uh, but it was like Ross and Sam. Ross and this guy, Sam McQueen, were like just the, the total goof duo. Um, but they were also like one of the strongest young people I'd ever seen, um, ever in anything. Uh, and... I'm pretty sure at the time Ross and Sam were already climbing like maybe about V8 or V9 or so. Um, Cause I remember Mirko Cavallero, who was like an old star, um, young star, but like way back then he was like the young star of our generation. Um, he was doing like weighted vest laps on like V7 and eight and Sam and Ross were climbing a little hard, harder than the stuff that he was doing like weighted vest laps on. But anyway, yeah, they're they're absurd, and there were quite a few older kids who were a lot stronger as well. Um, but then I joined the team, and then maybe that first year, um, our head coach Isaac just you know put me against like Ross and Sam all the time because we were like about the same size, and we were climbing like I, I just got really obsessed and like really good really fast because everyone else was way way better than the standard, and that's what the standard was to me. Um, so I just caught up really quick. <laughs> this dude was in yeah. the gym constantly. It was intimidating for me. I'm like, oh, who's this new kid who's <laughs> getting crazy good, crazy fast? So I had to ramp up my my climbing to stay ahead of him for a little bit. Yeah. So when did you start, Ross? How how old were you when you started? Um, I guess. So originally, I, I grew up just like climbing the redwood trees in my backyard which were like 70 feet tall. So from a really young age, I was always climbing around in those. Um, and then I think it was my seventh and eighth birthday party. I went to the gym um, and just did kind of a mess around climbing session with some friends. And then the, the next summer I did one of the summer camps at Planet Granite. And then uh, one of our coaches, Adriel, ended up just kind of seeing me climb around at one of the summer camps and suggested that I, I try the team. Um, so I think I joined when I was 10 um, and then was on the team for two years before Tim kind of showed up. Yeah, I feel like uh, it's interesting hearing that kind of trajectory nowadays where maybe you know all little kids love to climb, maybe some more than most, especially on trees and stuff. I was totally one of those guys too. Yeah. And then going into the gyms in like as a birthday party, I feel like I mean, say what you want about being in a gym when birthday parties are going on. They were a really good way to get kids in, in the gym and into climbing. So I think your story mimics many. And then it's interesting hearing about how quickly you guys joined team. You know, like uh, it, it really, 
it's just an interesting idea that you guys were starting to kind of think about climbing as a competitive sport really early. And, you know, I mean, now it's been eight years and you guys are climbing at the highest level. That's just kind of, it's not surprising that when you guys started out and had a site crew that, you know, you guys stuck with it and here you are on the other side competing at world cups. Uh, I, I love, I love that you guys had such a close bond and uh, a tight knit team and a place to practice that led you to here. I think it's safe to say that Ross and I are extremely competitive individuals. Um, and I think really early on we were competitive, but we also had really good instruction to show like what true support is and like just grow genuine love of the sport as well. So we didn't become like competitive against each other and like, you know, kind of push each other. I think that's something that's really unique about climbing um, is like the early origins of climbing. You're taught to just love the sport as well and, and love each other and support each other. Totally. And we were super fortunate to have coaches growing up, Isaac Williams uh, in particular, who really put an emphasis on like the curiosity behind like the competitiveness. And we were always pushing ourselves to climb harder boulders or like make up fun eliminates or just make every practice as like engaging and like as like it, as interesting as possible. But it was always from kind of the the standpoint of like, we're trying to have fun and like learn together, not like just beat uh, the other kids on team or anything like that. So I think he, he really instilled a sense of like almost mindfulness and like presentness about our, our climbing and training and always trying to like understand, like if you're upset about a boulder, or like you're not able to do a climb, like kind of dig deeper into that and understand why not just, like don't just rage <laughs> at a boulder and like shotgun attempts, but be be mindful with how you approach your climbing as a whole. Yeah, there's something really healthy about not focusing too much on like peer competition because in some ways it's really limiting. Like, you know, I think you guys were lucky to have guys like each other, but also, you know, people like Mirko around who are doing really well and it kind of pulls you ahead, makes you uh, get good really quickly. But at some point, like, what if you are the best person in your group? And if you're happy and satisfied there, well, then you go and you step on the world stage and all of a sudden you weren't near good enough. And so I just really like that emphasis on doing your best and focusing on yourself and your progress versus just trying to beat your buddy, which uh, is kind of short-sighted. Totally. Well, I'm kind of curious. It sounds like there was a bunch of other uh, names of kids that were on the team with you guys. And I know like Sam McQueen is still a damn good climber who, I don't know if he still competes, but I know when he does, he seems to do well. Uh, did you guys, do you guys feel like you showed any special promise of when you guys were young? Like were you guys standouts or what do you think led you guys to be on the world cup stage versus the handful of other kids who are on team and, and doing a damn good job as well, I'm guessing. I think Ross and I are going to have very different answers for this. <laughs> um, but Ross, why don't you go ahead? Because you you definitely competed a lot longer than I did and competed really well a lot longer than I did. Yeah, that's a, a hard question. Um, I guess I'd start off by saying that having, like our, our timing was very fortunate of when we joined team and how developed the team was. Um, like, like Tim mentioned, there were a lot of older kids on the team who were 
pretty strong at the time and, and good climbers and just good role models in general. So having call it 10 kids that were a couple of year, years older than you, um, really pushed Tim and I to, to get better and showed us like that climbing was a really cool, like cool sport, but also that we could push ourselves and, and get better. And they were always kind of egging us on and, uh, like the, the healthy competitive nature of the, that relationship, um, definitely sped up our, our progress. Um, and then in terms of competing, I think I was yeah, fortunate in the sense that I had a fair amount of success early on, um, like going to nationals, like my first season competing, um, and basically going to nationals and making finals like every year after the first year of competing. <laughs> um, so that definitely drove me to kind of continue my, like the climbing career and push me because I, I was never like winning those competitions except for one of the, the early nationals. So I was always like good, but not the best. So there was always a lot of room for improvement. Um, and I was always hungry to, to get that top spot and, and still <laughs> in a similar scenario, just kind of on a bigger stage. Um, yeah, yeah, that never ends. All right. You're, you're never, it's always just, you move up to the, to the bigger pond and want to, uh, be the big fish there. So um, yeah, good on you for, you know, not taking your early success for granted, but to, uh, have it drive you to dig deeper and, you know, recognize that there's always room for improvement. But yeah. So about you, Tim, what, 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 what's driven you? Well, our, our competition, uh, outlook, I think has really been the thing that's dr driven us most of our young life. Um, because yeah, we, Ross and I both did not win everything we did. Um, in fact, I, I was very commonly like one place behind a very significant spot or like just barely missing a margin. Um, or at least that's how the perspective I saw it as, um, growing up. And well, sometimes the results were literally like I was one spot out of finals way, way more times than I was ever in a final. Um, so it made me extremely hungry and it made me, you know, go back into the gym and, um, I was frustrated all the time, but I had, I was lucky enough to always have people like Ross, people like Sam, you know, other friends to just kind of bounce ideas off of. Um, but I remember early on in my origins, Ross and specifically, specifically Ross. And then my friend Brennan were really receptive, except Brennan didn't really compete very much. So mostly Ross were really receptive to like, talking about um i had plenty of people to bounce this stuff off of but ross was the other person who wanted to like act on it um and like hey like what happened like this is you know a, a result that i ran into there was a scenario that i ran into uh, i wasn't familiar with it um but here's an idea i have let's try to implement and just experiment and go ham like we just went savage after every single competition it's like training intensity ramped up uh significantly we were young too i think um, I, I had a different upcoming on the team because when I started, you know, I was starting after that wave that Ross, uh, kind of witnessed, I was coming in right at the end of that wave, like that first generation team, I'd only had the slightest taste of it. And then Ross's generation on the team was kind of really coming through and really pushing a different style and mood and atmosphere of what the team was. And then when I joined the team, I think I started to like move a little bit of a wave and then 
kind of corporate industry things started to happen. And then unfortunately, Isaac got pushed out. Um, like the gym literally pushed him out, I think when I was about 16. Um, and that started to get really hard. So it was kind of a, a blessing in disguise, actually. Like all of us left the team pretty much immediately. I think uh, Ross, Sam, and this guy, Nate, and I were, we all kind of like ganged up because we were clearly, we were taking climbing extremely seriously at that point. Um, and none of the coaches were taking it as seriously as we were, as, as, at least that's how it felt when we walked into the gym. Um, and I remember we had a lot of like just general beef with the coaches. Like we would come in, do our thing, warm up together, group up, and they would take us apart in our groups. And we'd be like, no, 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 no. We're climbing with these guys. They're climbing with us and we're training hard. Um, and we had so many good waves going on. And then eventually we were like, look, if we want to train together, we need to leave the team. Let's just train together. Let's just come in. You know, I'll help us write training plans. Like, I'll help us have some wave. Uh, so that's really when we started to take responsibility for our own training. Um, just be accountable for like when we come in, how long we do it, what we're doing, um, and just try like like effing hard. You know, we just we we only did it for ourselves. Um, that's huge. Yeah, that that's huge. Like, there's something about being able to transition from getting your your hand held by a coach like sometimes it's really easy when someone makes it really clear what success looks like like you come in and you try hard and your coach gives you a pat on the back and then be able to transition into like I'm leading the charge I'm doing this because I want it uh I actually I came into climbing out of gymnastics and what was the catalyst for me leaving gymnastics is that my coach left and all of a sudden it was like do I really want to keep doing this? Like I, you know, I really loved my coach and he actually took me climbing and I was like, Oh wait, climbing's pretty cool. But it, you know, it's, it, it's definitely interesting to hear that kind of make or break moment for you guys where then you kind of banded together and decided it was something you wanted to do. And you know, that, that's, uh, that forms a tight bond. <laughs> I think that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I would say that's probably the most pivotal point in, in my like climbing career or climbing kind of life or trajectory in general was that year of training with Tim, where we had both left the team and like without Tim there, I could confidently say I would be nowhere near where I am today because we went at it with each other like six days a week, four hours a day, and just were constantly pushing each other. And without that friendship and kind of competitive nature between us we would have i think lost a lot of like time and <laughs> progression in our in our climbing and it it totally showed us that we can like succeed kind of on our own and have the motivation and drive to push ourselves beyond even what we were doing when we had coaches and a full team and everything um so that really laid the base of like designing our own training schedules and taking it upon ourselves to, to do what we saw fit for competitions. Yeah. And, and likewise, I mean, without, without Ross, it would have been like me just going in there, experimenting, bashing my head. I was a really frustrated individual, I think like all the time. And Ross, Ross helped with a lot of calamity, just, you know, seeing like, I think what's really important in, in like, how Ross and I talked to each other was that we just believed in each other 
and we pushed each other. You know, we knew that we were capable of being great. And we also knew that we were capable of doing more every day. Um, and we reminded each other of that all the time, I think. And that's, and that's still how I see it. I think I see Ross and I see an Olympian and that's like, that's badass to think about. And like, if we're in our training sessions and we don't live up to those standards and this, those beliefs, you know, um, I think we're always hungrier for more. Um, so yeah, it was, it was fortunate. Well, it worked. Um, you guys, you guys did it. It sounds like, uh, it, it's still going forward today because I know you guys are both based in Salt Lake now. And, um, you know, those, the vlogs always show you guys hitting it hard. Although now you're in a place where there's a bunch of other people to share that experience with. You guys just have an all-star, uh, cameo, uh, on every single vlog. There's some V16 climber or national champ or world cup champ. So, um, looks like it's working. Uh, I, I thought I would share, uh, yeah, that's kind of your guys' origin story. And I, I just wanted to share how I met you guys or what, like the things that really stick out in my head because you know I've got about 10 years on you guys. And when you were starting in Planet Granite, I was actually just going to college over the hill and I would come in. Actually, I guess maybe I was in San Francisco. I was nearby and I would come in on the weekends and you guys were always there. Um, so yeah, it sounds like you really did go six days a week, uh, for four hours a day. And, uh, you guys both stuck out because Tim, when I first met you, you were very, very tiny. Now you're, you know, towers <laughs> over, you tower over me. Um, Ross, you were hard to miss too, with a big shock of red hair and you're pretty lanky back then too. Um, yeah, I, I feel like one of my really memorable uh moments is i was in i was in planet grant sunnyvale with uh max zolotukin and it was like rainy out so we weren't out climbing outdoors and i was trying we were trying some some i think it was like a purple v12 on i can't remember like on the butt cheeks the butt cheeks are just some name of one of the different areas in the in the gym and ross you could do this move that me and Max just could not do. And you floated it. And I think you were probably like 13 or 14 at the time. And I just remember being Max being like, damn, what are we doing wrong? Like, what the fuck? Like Ross is really, really strong. Uh, and it just kind of, you know, it stuck out in my head as kind of uh, the beginning of the changing of the guard and just kind of recognizing um, that, you know, there was, there's a shift that always happens and you see the next generation coming up and they're doing things that is different from what we could do. And I just, I'll kind of never forget because it was a, you know, big, a big reminder that uh, there's always someone coming down the pipe. That's really strong. And also to be honest, it made me feel better seeing you guys go and then be some of the best climbers in the world. Cause I was like, well, maybe I'm not so bad because <laughs> these guys end up being the best. So just thought I'd, uh, share uh what it looked like from an outsider to see you little groms like crushing and then you know moving on to to the big stage thank you that's awesome. that's super cool i mean like even even nowadays like i think ross and i aren't old by any means but like we we do see a similar thing to how you see it um uh, at least like i mean when, when i every time i see teen kids from the gym I think Oscar Baudron is like someone who is really unique in right when I started training in Salt Lake city, Oscar was like on the momentum team 
super quiet individual. That was like earlier this year before this World Cup season. He was just some teen kid who was like climbing really hard upcoming. His older brother was already really, really strong and also upcoming. Um, but like Oscar was someone who I saw, like he had a way of looking at movements that I had never really thought about before. Um, and, and there's many other kids like him, but it proved very, he like very luckily made a Canada team spot, I think. And so he got to compete at some of the lead world cups this year um, and just some other world cups and seeing him and how he was doing the world cups and like how he approached it, just really positive bubbly. Um, and he was destroying me at the world cups. Um, and I remember training at Milmo and I had created a lot of like the endurance stuff on the spray walls and he was nowhere near what I was doing. And then we go to the world cups together and I realize how much it doesn't matter. And like, just how like a different shift in perspective and like how you train that. And I think what's really cool is like when we're young, we can actually implement that stuff like really early on um, and not be like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like that's just how, who else is going to be. I'm like, no, I want to do that too. And like, what's he doing? Like, let's, let's go. Let's, let's like combine the flavors. And I think that's how we push everything. Um, so it's a unique perspective to hear from you like many, many, many years later. I think that's also one of the, the big benefits of being in Salt Lake City and in an area that has such a strong pool of climbers and it, like such a strong pool of climbers that's very diverse in terms of age and where everyone's from and kind of backgrounds and specialties and everything like that. So it's amazing to be able to go into the gym and have a little, like someone who's a couple of years younger than you crushing these sorts of moves. And then you look at that and be like, okay, like what can I learn from that? Or you look to some of the older climbers like Nathaniel and kind of pick his mind about how he's done training and some of his pro tips for, for us. And it's, it's fun to kind of combine all of the wisdom in, in the area and, and try and learn as best we can. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Have you guys, I, well, of course you guys have watched it, but sometimes I will watch the, uh, like, abs nationals for the kids or something and you know like really really young kids like nine or ten year olds or i don't know what the category is probably like 11 and under or something and the moves that they do and the way they think about the problems are totally the same as like uh you know a world cup stage you know the holds are bigger mm -hmm. maybe they're closer together but you can just see the way that they run through the options like they're like well maybe if i heel hook over my head you know maybe if i do a 360 and it's no surprise that sometimes people just all of a sudden come out of that kind of youth scene and then they're just top of the world. Like I, I feel like Colin Duffy is actually a pretty good example of that where, uh, I mean, he, I don't know how old he is. He just turned 18, I think. And he, you know, you could kind of see in the last two years, he was kind of starting to step onto the stage, but just the way he moved and when he did stuff like when he would send, you'd be like, wow, he sent that smoothly and good. And you could see something coming. And all of a sudden, Olympian, you know, like just within a short time. So those kids, even though they're kind of smaller and younger, the way they move is just, it's an expert level. And I, I love that idea of paying attention to what they're doing versus dismissing them because they're younger than you. Yeah, totally. And once you learn those good movement patterns and have a healthy like foundation, it translates really well into higher end and upper level climbing. So a lot of that is having the confidence 
and kind of the mental game to go to go with it and then once you you have that good foundation you just need to expose yourself to that higher level competition and then it'll all come together like there's it seems like their seems like their mental game is strong too you know the the kids mental game can be uh honed early which seems to help yeah definitely well i'm curious uh you guys both came into climbing pretty early but i know that you played other sports and i'm just kind of curious to hear like tim you used to play basketball um and probably still do and ross i i know from instagram and you're a damn good skier like how do you guys think that helps at a younger age or an older age and do you think it helps your climbing still and you know just kind of curious to hear how other sports have influenced you both in the beginning and today yeah ross and i do plenty of other sports uh, i think ross does far more i think he takes a lot more different hobbies far more intensely than i do um and it's really sick i just i'm not willing to do that stuff but like um i'm sure i'm sure his take is a little different than mine but growing up at least like from my origins as approaching a different sport i did take basketball really seriously when i was younger and when i was like four foot eleven i wanted to be in the nba um it just had lofty goals when i was young and it was so funny when i was on the basketball team at middle school they they all call me tiny tim so of course tiny tim would would be in the nba and then of course like when i stopped playing basketball i gained like or I, I grew an entire foot <laughs> when I started rock climbing, um, which is super funny. Um, but other than that, I was doing like skateboarding a good bit when I had just started climbing. Um, I also left basketball because uh, of a coach coach dynamic, but not, not the same reason as yours, Josh. Um, but yeah, just like how I approached basketball training and that discipline and teamwork, I think was like a huge thing for my early years in climbing. Um, but then nowadays when I see, it's just, when I see other sports, there's a lot of things that I look at when I, I think when I look at it as a coach, uh, when I look at climbing as a coach, I see there's just historically things that work in other sports, um, and historically things that don't work in other sports. Um, so for me, a lot of how I use a lot of my origins as from other sports is not only how I climb, but how I coach as well. Um, but yeah, I'll let Ross talk about his other crazy, crazy sports that he does all the time. <laughs> Yeah, I guess growing up, I was always playing lots of sports. Um, and it wasn't until I found climbing that I really settled in and started to like pursue one one sport in particular. But throughout uh, like climbing <laughs> uh, journey, I've always uh, kept up uh, like skiing and recently surfing and like mountain biking and just kind of a, a plethora of other outdoor activities, uh, basketball included. Um, but they were never really team sports um, and I never competed in anything, but I always was pushing myself to be like the best I could at it. Um, and I guess that came a bit from like a competitive nature where I'd have a friend who was better than me at basketball. So I was like, okay, like I'm going to go after the climbing session and go shoot around for a little bit and try and challenge myself to, to get better as fast as I, I can. Um, but for me, it, it definitely provided a lot of like perspective, the climbing, but also like kind of an outlet to be creative and like express like movement 
Um, and I think that that translated pretty well to, to climbing just in the sense that like on the ski slope, like you're always looking for lines and trying to kind of find a cool sequence and then execute it really well. Same with surfing where you have to kind of sequence the wave and like figure out where you're going to take off and then really execute it. So all of those things help me to like perform just like I do in, in climbing. And it's a very similar feeling. Like before you, you catch a wave, you're like a bit nervous. And then there's that, that moment of like, okay, I got, got to be really committed. And you kind of know, like if, if you take off and you weren't fully committed and you weren't focused, like you're going to eat it and get tumbled around a bunch. Same with like a ski jump or like a hard, like steep mogul line or whatever. Um, so it's fun to see how that, that translates. And in the climbing gym, like before I do a hard coordination move or do a really committing, like move on a slab where you have to trust a foot, it's the same kind of process of steps before I commit, like kind of slowing your breath and visualizing what you're going to do. And then kind of trusting your, your instincts and your subconscious to, to pull it off. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very similar. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I, I mean, I know you guys both have this background, uh, but in some ways you guys exemplified this interesting duality in climbing where in some ways climbing is just this chill, like, you know, experience of flow in the outdoors. And it's kind of like a, there's not a lot of rules. It's something that I loved about climbing. Gymnastics was very like rigorous training oriented, do your routine, you know, do it perfectly. And when I would climb, I was just like, I can do whatever I want. And I, I really, I really like that. Uh, and I hear some of that in your talk about skiing and just that love of movement. Um, but then hearing from Tim's side, like something that I see lacking in climbing, uh, or at least it did previously, I think it's starting to change is that, that rigor. Um, you know, I think about, when I think about basketball, I think about guys like Kobe Bryant doing a thousand free throws a day before practice. Um, and it's just kind of interesting hearing like those two sides of, of climbing and how they're kind of starting to meld in stuff like competition climbing, where it's still kind of wide open and do as you do, but that training aspect, that dedication and focus to being excellent is something kind of new. And I just like seeing you guys represent kind of both ends of the spectrum and then meet in the middle. Yeah. That's so funny that you mentioned that because growing up, Ross and I definitely had like pretty polar perspectives on this stuff like um but in a very inviting way like i mean i think i would introduce something and everyone would be like like what 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 is this guy talking about like this is not how people do it and then ross would tell me something i'd be like that's not how i do it and you know but seeing the beauty and like the value and and how we view things i think was like up to us i, I honestly wrestled with it and i sometimes still do wrestle with it like a lot um kind of nowadays i really try to acknowledge this thing that you're talking about just the freedom and climbing and like you know the fact that climbing is freedom and like everything everything and how you do climbing is up to you and how you want to do it um but a lot of like i think i'm noticing it nowadays when i coach just people that i don't really know because that's that's how i coach nowadays and i don't really coach a youth team um but everyone wants something slightly different and like for me to tell them like well this is the way you should want it you know, is, is totally wrong for me, uh, to say in a philosophical standpoint, 
Um, and instead, I just point towards fundamentals and fundamentals leads to mastery and mastery leads to self-expression. And that's that's how I see like climbing to be as a whole and any level and wherever you want to do it. I can teach any V13 climber fundamentals. Josh, I could teach you fundamentals that you've probably never heard of before and you'll level up in your climbing and then you'll self-express after you've mastered something else. Um, and that's something that you're talking about that really, yeah, it truly does not exist in climbing. It's not a standard. It's not in books. Um, and it's almost impossible to be in books until we've all figured it out and pushed it. Um, and uh, like, yes, please. Yeah. I, I'd like to level up. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it sounds great. More fundamentals is always better. I, I, I really, I thought that was so cool what you said. I'm going to try to repeat it and again, because I just want to emphasize it. Uh, fundamentals begets mastery, which allows self-expression. Does that, does that sound good? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think that's, I think that's beautiful. I think it's why any sport at a high level is really fun. And, you know, this is a sport we all do. And that canvas of uh, the climbing wall is really cool because everyone climbs it differently, especially at a high level. It's, it's really interesting how, as you get into higher grades, how you'll have, you know, four V13 plus climbers sessioning on something and they'll find one will find one move easy. One will find one move impossible. And just even though they'll climb it in a similar way, the truth is they're all climbing it in their own unique way. And uh, that's one of the benefits of being around that a crew like that is being able to kind of, I don't know, steal or sample the fundamentals that are exhibited um, in the best way from different experienced climbers. Yeah. And, and to balance like a lot of my, my philosophy in climbing, like um, I remember, <clears throat> I think one of my biggest fears in, in like the world, in the natural world is the ocean. And the only time I've ever gone in the ocean was with Ross. I think we went to, we went to Sea Ranch and uh, which Ross has his house in Sea Ranch and Ross is like, oh, we got to surf, dude. Like, I was like, dude, I've never been in the ocean. I never want to be in the ocean, like with my own body. And I remember just having this like revelation where I was like, no, I want to surf. Like, I want to do something that I've never done before. I want to do something that's scary. I want to just go for it. Like Ross sends everything. Like he just wants to rip it. He rips it. Like he goes on the ski slope. He just sends it. He doesn't even have the experience to like justify the safety that, you know, might be compromised, but he'll like see some mountain bike hill and I see him just rip it down. I'm like, dude, like there's something there that if I just go for it, you know, maybe I don't have to do it all the time, but if I can just see the beauty in it. Um, and I did, I, 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 I surfed, I think I caught my first wave and then never again for like the next two hours, just getting tumbled over and over again. Um, but I'm sure Ross had a great time watching. It was like, wow, I never <laughs> thought Tim would ever do something like that. Um, yeah, I, I remember that day super clearly. And I probably suggested it as a joke just to make fun of him because I knew he was going to say, no, I don't want to go in the water. But lo and behold, he actually put on a wetsuit and, and hopped in. And this was way up north, like a couple hours north of San Francisco. So it's it was cold and pretty treacherous water and not a good day for surfing by any means. But yeah, Tim went for it and came out of the water after getting tumbled with a smile on his face. And uh, yeah, it, it definitely is. It's fun to kind of push yourself in some scenarios like that and come away with kind of the feeling of, oh, like I can just kind of experiment and in a lot of these scenarios where like it's it's pushing your comfort zone or it's, you're pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone but in a relatively safe way um like those are the types of experiences that i look for constantly 
whether it's in climbing or, or out of climbing, because they give you that insight of like how you react when you're uncomfortable and can teach you a lot about how to perform or like keep your nerves under control when you're in a, an uncomfortable place or situation. Yeah, I, I will say that if your first time going surfing or even going into the ocean is like the the west coast up north that's that is like that's dark cold water and there's sharks <laughs> and um and it's that's that's where i learned to surf too and it's um it's a little heavy there uh yeah, well there's sharks i'm just kidding <laughs> um well how about next time you go in the ocean tim we just let's all go to mallorca deep water soloing is Ooh. gotta be the best blend of the ocean and climbing and it's just the most fun thing ever um, yeah always down have some serious motivation not to fall if he's that afraid of the water. He's just going to flash everything. Seriously, though, it's like the most fun climbing you can ever do. I just, I'm, I'm not even joking. Like, go, we should go uh, do a vlog on it. It's worth it. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, it makes me think, you know, we, we were talking about this kind of uh, duality of, of climbing and where it's going. Um, and, you know, where it's going is to the Olympics. Uh, I mean, it really is here, you guys. And just kind of why I hear about both your guys' uh, opinions on the Olympics, you know, the the format that happened, um, you know, it clearly is changing. But, uh, you know, what did that mean to you guys starting out uh, as climbers and having the Olympics come around? I, I'm sure, Tim, you know, you talked about the NBA when you were a kid, and that was like a really clear path to being the best you know the nba represented the, the best basketball players um but i know that when you guys were starting out you know there's abs nationals there's world cups and it just didn't feel like there was a, a pinnacle of uh of success when it came to being a competition climber so you know what did the olympics mean to you when they came out and what are you thinking about them as far as being a an athlete now i remember um I remember going to Planet Granite and like the news was like insane. I think there was a huge energy shift in the gym. Um, I think what's really important in high level sports or sports where there are high level athletes is not only drive and motivation and like support and camaraderie and everything great we've been talking about in our origins, but also just direction, like where you're going. Um, and it's not necessarily to say that the end goal is to be an Olympian and to win the Olympics, but to just have that in the back of our minds, like I'm sure Ross and I for the past three years have thought about the Olympics for the next couple, like for like the next decade, you know, like we're like, well, that's obviously where we're going. And like, we want to be the Olympics is who, who shows you who's the best. Right. And I think when you actually acknowledge what climbing is, you do realize that, okay, it's not who the best is you know, but it's a pretty clear statement. And like, that's, I guess that's what we're chasing. Um, but yeah, I do remember like a very specific time where Ross and I were talking about like, like, oh, we got to take training seriously. Like we got to like figure out what, what's like the next couple of years look like. And of course we realized like, you know, season after season, we're like, okay, everything changes. There's new opportunities. There's like new ways to train. You know, there's a lot of difficulties in climbing competition seasons never look the same. So we have to be kind of adaptive and like figure out how to train and compete um, on the way there. But a lot of it is just to optimize like Olympic training, I think. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Ross has a, Ross might have a unique take on it because 
like this is when a unique time where he's in school and like the timing of that and where he wants to live. I think that's, that's all I want. I kind of want to hear that as well. Yeah, I guess. So, so really quickly, um, I think it's no coincidence that that first year that Tim and I really trained hard together and we were off on our own was kind of one of the most rigorous and like structured um, times in my training, or it was definitely the, the first season where we had, or like I had a training plan that was like written out and I was like going into the gym every day with like a list of things to accomplish. Um, and that was before the, the Olympics had been announced. And then I think my main goal was like youth worlds. Um, and I probably didn't even, I actually, I know I didn't have like any goals in like world cups or like my mind wasn't <laughs> thinking that far ahead. Um, but it was really cool to be exposed to climbing training that had that much structure and rigor. And before that, it was kind of all about like going into the gym and having fun and like being creative and like learning, but not necessarily with the express purpose of like winning a X competition or like getting super, super good or like training, I put training like quotation marks. It was about like just getting better in the gym, not necessarily like training. So that, that first year with Tim was really cool to understand like, Oh, like you can train really hard and it works. Like you get like really good, really fast when you go into the gym and you're focused and you're dedicated and you put in a lot of hard work. Um, so then fast forward to kind of the Olympics being announced that kind of just immediately became the, the goal in my mind. Um, and at the time I was at UCLA and training for the Olympics was really <laughs> difficult for me because it was kind of the first time I'd been away from home and been away from like the structure of having a consistent gym to go into and having consistent partners to climb with Tim being <laughs> the main one. Um, but everyone who was on the team, we were all always climbing together. So we had a really strong crew. Um, but then all of a sudden I'm in <laughs> a new place and have a ton of schoolwork to be doing and the gyms aren't very good and there's no one really strong to climb with. So that was hard to try to try to balance those two kind of dreams in my head of doing school at the same time as seriously training for the Olympics. Um, and ultimately 2020 didn't work out. Um, and after kind of a pretty shaky season in terms of training and school and everything, I realized that if I were serious about my Olympic ambitions, I needed to, to change it up a little bit. So that ultimately fueled the decision to move to Salt Lake city, um, and be in kind of the atmosphere that we are in now and have the ability to maintain training at a high level, but also still be in school full time. When I heard that you were at UCLA, uh, I hate to say this, but I kind of thought that maybe you were kind of, you know, done in some ways, not like, you know, done climbing, but just that you were kind of, you know, heading into that phase of life that, I mean, going to school and uh, training, there's nothing wrong with going to school at the same time. But when I heard you were going to UCLA, I was kind of like, oh, dude, maybe Ross is kind of, you know, hanging up his hat. So uh, that, you know, move to Salt Lake or recognizing what was really important uh, to you. I mean, it's not that you're not still going to school, but just making sure that you could still uh, 
you know, train hard and go for your dreams uh, made sense. <laughs> I literally drove to San Diego every single weekend. I only had classes. I scheduled it. So I had classes uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So Thursday night I drive to San Diego. Actually, I didn't have a car. So I'd take the bus to San Diego. So it was like a three hour round trip and then stay with a friend, Marco there for four days and then come back Monday night and grind school for three days straight and try and get everything done so I could just focus on climbing for four days on the weekend. But that was just not at all a sustainable <laughs> schedule. Um, and honestly, COVID and having the opportunity to do school online made training and pursuing climbing a, a lot easier. So um, that kind of showed me that, oh, you can like maintain school and climb and do everything at a high level at the same time. So that's what I'm, I'm doing now, but it's, it's definitely a balance and took a while and I'm still learning how to <laughs> juggle both at the same time. It sounds like you're in good company, uh, in Salt Lake, uh, with people who basically started doing their school there as well as moving there to train. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it seems like you made the right choice along with the how it's gotta be like half a dozen others that did the same thing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, we talked about the vlog and why you guys started it, uh, but kind of the behind the scenes is that this podcast was basically started because the vlog gave us viewers like just a, a, a hint into what you guys were doing as far as training or having fun. And, it, you know, to be honest, it just looks super glamorous, right? You guys are eating pastries, like we said, climbing on sick European crags. Um, and I was hoping that this this medium of, of a podcast allows you guys to kind of explain more about those behind the scenes sessions. And you know, I want to dig into like your opinions and what you're really doing uh, behind the scenes on those vlogs. And I, I mean, one of the things I always like to hear about is what it was like on that world cup circuit and what the gym scene was like and what training with those teams were like, how were they different than, than your experience at Salt Lake and you know, just getting a little bit more color behind the, uh, you know, the, the glamor that is, uh, Ross and Tim's vlog. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, guess... I think, I think surprisingly, oh, go ahead, Ross. Okay. Okay. Really quickly, I guess in, in Europe, I think it's, a bit different than what we're doing now in the sense that because we were on the world cup circuit, we weren't training really, really hard. We were just sessioning between all the comps and we were just exposed to so many new places and friends and cultures and experiences that it was super, super easy to like kind of capture that authentic, like awe of everything that we did because we were experiencing it for the first time too. So we would just hold up the camera and be Oh my God, this is an amazing session. This is such a new gym. Like, <laughs> like our minds were just racing with energy and thoughts and everything uh, with every session. And then it's been cool to bring that back to the States and kind of showcase our more like day to day um, training routines and, and how we go about our climbing. But for every video that we post, that's a really fun, like energetic training session, maybe energetic is the wrong word, but for every like really high energy training session there's also a like a, a session where we're just kind of alone and have our headphones in and just grinding out what we need to do um so it's not all just fun and games like there's definitely an element of 
rigor, like you mentioned, um, and kind of balancing the, the training sessions versus the, like the learning sessions or the times where you're like being really, really collaborative with all your friends. Yeah. I, I think, um, it's, it's an interesting take. I think like a lot of people tell us like the number one thing people tell us about our vlogs, uh, at least in my experience is that, uh, it's super authentic and it's super genuine, but at the same time I do hear like, it is really glamorous and it's like really, you know, like you gotta show us like all the, the falls and like all the, the bad sessions and everything. It's like, well, you know, we have the opportunity as creatives to like show what we want to show and like what, uh, how we want to portray ourselves but we don't portray ourselves in an inauthentic way. That's for sure. Um, I just, I think we make conscious decisions to, to decide like, Hey, you know, we don't, we, we want to show like all the high energy stuff, like optimism and like growth. And like, we do fall a lot. Like, I mean, I think, I think actually it's something that we are trying to implement in a lot of our vlogs nowadays. It's like implementing more falling because it just shows perspective, but it's, it's more about the perspective than it is like to show what <clears throat> really goes on. Um, which is why I think we're also pretty open to this podcast thing. And I was really stoked about it because yeah, there's a lot of like reasoning for all these things and how we show it. And like, you know, um, but at the same time, like, yeah, the, the glamor is, uh, that's authentic. That's we, we have a blast every time we go to the gym, every session nowadays is still just like, you know, if we see someone else, it's fun. It's, it's, it's like a blast. We want to push ourselves. We want to do something random and just spice it up when we go travel, like anywhere we go, we're always, you know, I think we share a lot of our positive thoughts. We do have a lot of negative thoughts as well. Like not, not negative, but critical thoughts, um, about like where the industry is going and it's because it's important to us and, and it's sensitive. Um, but yeah, we, we decide how we want to show it, but it's not necessarily inauthentic, I think. Um, yeah, don't get me wrong. You guys don't come off inauthentic at all. And when I say (laughs) it looks glamorous, I like it. You know, give the viewers what they want, dude. I, I want to see you guys crushing. I want to see the, just the amazing stuff. And, you know, it's just fun to, to dive in a little bit deeper because we all do know that it can be a grind sometimes. Although the, the side, the, or the argument against that is that going in and having fun and pushing yourself in some ways, like is the, the core foundation for progressing. Just like you guys were saying that in the early days, what it really was, was you two, you know, having that friendly competition. Um, and I, I don't see that as a, a bad thing, but I, I do love, you know, I really love digging into, you know, I hear your guys' pro tips, which I love. Um, and, you know, there'll be these little, little sound bites of make sure you set your intention for the next uh, climb, like what went wrong, you know, uh, and having the ability to just kind of grill you guys on what that really means. And, uh, you know, how, how you guys really do approach a hard boulder and what happens uh, when you say that there's critical thoughts or critical talk. Um, and you mean that in the positive sense, like how do you approach failure on a boulder? Uh, it can't always just be having another espresso. <laughs> yes, it can, Josh. Um, <laughs> honestly, it, it's been really easy to, to capture like everything we're doing because like every session is so like high energy and so like passionate like what i said before isn't i guess super representative about having like 
high energy and low energy sessions. I, I think genuinely 90% of the times we go to the gym are like very um, like energetic and enthusiastic about like climbing and learning. And whenever you're training, like we always approach it with uh, an air of like creativity and like curiosity about like how we can get the most out of whatever exercise we're doing. Um, and hopefully that, that comes across in the videos where like Tim and I are like having fun and laughing while we're doing stupid muscle up challenges back to back or videos like that, where we're just doing like heinous exercises, but making it kind of fun and engaging for us along the way is, is what we do. So that's, that's why it's, it's easy to, to capture all that because you just point a camera and whatever we're doing is hopefully we have that, that same mentality of like, we're trying to get better, but do it in a, a fun and kind of new way. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's like probably, uh, it was probably unlikely that we could even vlog anything interesting when we were apart there. I think there was like a two year gap, I think when Ross moved to school and we weren't really training together at all. I was work. I was working with two coaches. Ross mentioned one, Adriel, and there's another one, Justin Cubbage, who I would go in and just train by myself. Um, I was just training in. Uh, I would work, uh, I think, five hours or so with Justin, and then I would coach, and then I would do another like two hours of working out, um, and like by myself. And those were like unvloggable sessions. Like nothing. Every everything was experimental. There was an argument probably every other session, um, and it was uh, it was all constructive. Like afterwards, we would talk about it constructively and be like, okay, like what what is the information that we need out of this? Uh, why do we disagree? Um, all that stuff. Um, but that really highlighted like how we want our sessions to be nowadays. And like, uh, look, that was in the Bay Area, and we both made very conscious decisions to move out to Salt Lake City. It was really hard. The Bay Area is somewhere I feel really connected to, you know, not just climbing, just, you know, the community and the lifestyle, the atmosphere in general. So it was hard for me to go to Salt Lake this year, uh, but it's mandatory, man. Like this, this type of vlog atmosphere is real here and it's real with like a group of people. It's real with like the gyms and the facilities that you have. It's real with travel. Um, so hopefully a lot of it just kind of inspires people to live a little bit like that you know not not necessarily change their lives and move to salt lake city but like you can have that on the weekends you can go and travel and like have a really really good time with your friends um and we just decide to do that like every day because that's <laughs> or you know not even every day but all the time i don't know if if you're in the if you're in america and you want to be a really good climber moving to salt lake city right now is probably not a, a bad option no not a not yeah. a bad option at all but I think like what, what Tim is getting at is really important that if you're trying to push yourself and learn in whatever discipline you're, you're practicing, it's super important to surround yourself with people that are a like better than you and B have an open mind to like teaching you, but just like sharing their thoughts and being kind of analytical with everything you do. Like, I think the the biggest thing that like stifles like progress is just like a closed mind towards whatever you're doing. Like if you go into the gym and you fall and your first thought is just like, oh, it's a bad day. Like that's a really quick way to become unmotivated and 
like just lose your your passion for climbing or whatever sport that mm. that you're trying hard in so yeah like moving to salt lake was in large part due to like the people that are here and like the energy and the atmosphere that you can surround yourself with um and that's only led to like more creativity and and bigger and better sessions with with friends yeah what this makes me think of uh is have you guys watched that Almandra series that got dropped recently. It was like a four part series called beyond focus for the, uh, for the Olympics. Uh, Tim's shaking his head. No, Ross is like, hell yeah. Dude. Of course. Yeah, uh, well, I, I mean, what made me think of it was just, uh, I mean, one thing that I really noticed was he's having a blast, man. Like he loves the training. He loves, I, I was really impressed by his open mind trying to, you know, echo what you were saying, Ross, where, you know, you know, the speed climbing and stuff like he kind of was like, screw this. I, I don't want to do this. That's not my thing. And he was like, actually, I, I'm really enjoying it. And uh, I was saying to Tim the other day when I watched that uh, vlog of uh, you with your uh, housemate, was it John, right? John Brosler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Damn good speed climber. Uh, watching him deconstruct some of the the movements and talking about like you got to keep your body close and have your weight over to the right so that you'll catch the next hold like this i was like i never thought too highly of speed climbing but then the way he was talking about it was just like you talk about a hard boulder and i was like wow that actually you know opened my eyes and i realized that i was probably close-minded on that and seeing that in the best of the best, having that open mindset and that joy that they, that it allows them to bring to every session is crucial. And you can yeah. do that same breakdown with stuff way more specific than like speed climbing or cl like bouldering. Like I like trying to take that same um, kind of perspective and process to like little things like a push up or I've been getting really into various like yoga and like stretching routines lately and trying to, bring that same process to like holding a really intense pose where you're having to engage everything and like be super, super stable through like your hands and wrists and core and everything is again, like pretty similar to climbing in the sense that you have to like kind of visualize what you're going to do and then execute on this thing. That's pretty hard and a bit outside your, your ability. Um, so it's, it's fun to test yourself in lots of different disciplines like that. And it, it teaches you how to, to learn and how to learn better, which is, I'd argue, one of the most important things for any skill. I loved seeing that side of you, Ross. Like I loved seeing the the intensity that you are bringing to stretching. And again, I'm just kind of echo that video by Alamandro. That that love of every aspect of training. Like when he's doing the visualizations of of his routes, like you just see that he's he's trying hard in this way that is not the same as like trying one hard move. And I just, I loved seeing that, that brought to all aspects of your training. It's, I think that's a really, it's a, it shows the commitment to the path to excellence. Totally. Now I want to switch to just some like rapid fire questions. You know, I want to ask uh, kind of the basic questions that when I watch the vlog and I see you guys crushing, I want to know is just a, a another fellow climber. Okay. Um, I'll just, I'll just start with you, Ross. Like, who is your favorite climber? Did, did you have one as a kid? Do you have one now? Like, who did you look up to and who do you think is crushing it right now? Yeah, that's a hard one. I think, so I'll, Tommy Caldwell is the first person that pops into my mind just 
because he's so good at so many different things. And that is inspiring for me because I definitely like to push myself in a bunch of different disciplines. Um, so seeing how successful he can be in like hard bouldering and hard sport climbing and trad climbing and big wall climbing and now like alpine stuff um, is, is really inspiring. And definitely I could see myself um, in a sim similar position um, one day. But yeah, growing up, I honestly, I was not as like into, as into climbing as like Tim, like Tim would come in and like any conversation we had, he'd be, he would list off so many names of climbs and people and places. And I would just be like completely oblivious. And he would always get like so upset, like, Ross, how the heck do you not know like who these people are? Like, how do you not know what this climb is? Like, what are you doing with your spare time? And I guess I was like super, super passionate about climbing when I was in the gym. But once I like went home or yeah, left the climbing gym, I really didn't like, I didn't live and breathe climbing. I just, I lived and breathed climbing at the gym. But other than that, it was not like a huge part of my life um, until like more recent years where now I'll <laughs> do my, my homework about climbs and routes. And I know everyone in, in the community, but it was interesting growing up. I was like always learning everything. I like everything I learned about like the climbing world was basically from like Tim and like the older kids <laughs> at the gym. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, kind of funny. What about you, Tim? Uh, since you were, had your finger on the pulse, who do you admire when you were young and who do you think is a amazing climber right now? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, Ross's uh, second part of the question is tough. Uh, yeah. Ross, Ross is pointing at, I mean, I, I love that Ross had like, I learned a lot from him going home and like not looking up climbing all the time because I'm obsessed with the history and everything, but like um, not everyone is. And, um, but I'm still obsessed with like the history of climbing and like where it was going. So uh, competition, Ramon de Grange is like absolutely my favorite climber. Um, he, his structure and like how he implemented his training into his, you know, execution in the comps was something that was really beautiful to me. And it was something beyond climbing's years and he retired from competition, but he's a French coach. Um, and I'm so glad he's a coach because like I said, the way he pursued it, I think is beyond climbing's years. And it's something that Ross and I are trying to implement in our training and everything. But wait, who, who did you say? Did you say Francois Legrand? Ro Roman de Grange. Roman Legrand. Okay. I don't know who that is, yeah. dude. You're, you're just like, I thought I knew everything about climbing, but you're just <laughs> pulling out something that I haven't heard. Do you know who this guy is, Ross? Have you heard of this? Yeah. 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 He's a freak. Um, some really cool old training videos um, on YouTube that you can find, but I don't know. Cool. I'll try to drop those as uh, links in the description, but I, yeah, tell me more. He, he just, um, he actually wrote a book and I can't read it cause it's in French. Um, <laughs> it's good motivational in French, but Twanon read it and he told me it was kind of just explained. Uh, Twanon's a French friend of ours. Um, and he, yeah, just explains that it's like a lot of his like kind of philosophies and climbing and training um, but he, I think he's probably in his late thirties now and trained a lot when he was younger. He just competed. I don't think he won anything like extremely huge, but it was the way he competed and he didn't boulder. He was one of the few like lead climbers who just like almost never did any bouldering world cups, almost never. Um, and he made almost every single final that he was competing in. So consistent. I couldn't fathom how people could be consistent in something like climbing. Honestly, it was like a very, uh, like you could train on the campus board 
and like be consistent in a competition, which just, again, it didn't make any sense, but he kind of showed that that was part of his training. Um, but yeah, I would just watch him climb. I would look up some old IFSC World Cup with like Roman de Grange and like he's a very beautiful climber, like very focused. I think his breath work was something absurd. I remember like specifically seeing his muscular structure was something that I was fascinated in, um, which is something odd to say, but his, his muscular structure was something that just didn't exist in many other climbers. Um, like there was stuff in his forearms and his like kind of tricep area where I was like, there's gotta be something there. Like there, his, his form and lead is like so much more comfortable. He was the first climber I watched in lead where I was like, Oh, he's pumped and he's off and would go like 20 more moves. And it was absurd. And I never understood how that was possible. Um, but now that I'm understanding training, I'm like kind of understanding that that exists. Well, for me growing up, uh, when I did, uh, the French climbers definitely were the ones with the good technique. Like they were the, they exemplified what good technique was. So I kind of like hearing that, uh, you know, that was iconic for you when you were younger. Uh, and, and maybe to, to put the, the second part of that question in a different way, um, you know, who's someone that you think is underrated or someone up and coming yet? You mentioned, uh, a younger guy who was, uh, you say he was Oscar. based out of Salt Lake. Yeah. Oscar. Um, but yeah. I mean, that could be your answer, but I also like to hear from you, Ross, if there's someone that's on your radar that you think is just doing things that, uh, other people aren't doing and is someone to watch over the next couple of years. Oh, that's hard. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many kids that are <laughs> pretty crazy at the moment, but I, I'm really curious about Connor Hurston. Um, he's progressing or he's pushing kind of the realm of big wall climbing and, and outdoor stuff in Yosemite and, and, and on, and on rock, um, to a whole another level. And I had the the privilege of going up, um, some big walls in, uh, Yosemite with him a couple months ago, I guess not even a couple, just like a month ago, but I'm yeah very eager to see how he pushes that. And he's in my mind, like for sure going to be, the next Tommy Caldwell um, and pushing <laughs> big wall free climbing to the absolute limit. Something Tim and I have talked about is how there's often these new uh, waves in climbing where it kind of brings different ways to unlock sequences like these kind of double clutch dinos or something like that, that are relatively new in the sense of like setting or competing and how people then use those techniques to unlock uh, boulders outside or potentially like sequences that were undone before. And it's interesting thinking about a guy like that, who is probably a more modern type of climber and applying that uh, same uh, you know, movement or looking at the rock in a different way and taking that to, to big walls. Like even, even something like Dawn wall where uh, Tommy and Kevin did that like big sideways dino yeah. My hunch is that, you know, if someone had looked at that line 20 years before, even if they were physically capable, that may just not have been in their realm of understanding. Like, they wouldn't have even thought that that was a possible solution. And so, you know, hearing about a young guy who's kind of in more of the trad climbing big wall world, he might bring something really interesting to the table. Totally. And, and that's why it's, that's, that's why it's so interesting for me to combine, combine different disciplines of of climbing in sports because you never know what will will translate over until you until you try it like competition bouldering 
who knows, like might have a lot of applicable <laughs> um, skills to bring to like the world of big wall climbing or whatever that is. So you don't know until you, you try it out. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what Connor takes um, that part of the sport. And because uh, I'll probably get into that, you know, years later when I can't compete anymore, but he's doing it now when he's like fit and young and, and stoked. Um, I think it's uh, kind of wrong to not to, to not mention Chris Sharma because like he definitely, I think, shaped all of us as climbers, like absolutely. Um, but he also was definitely one of my favorite. He t- today still, I'll like just chill and eat dinner and I'll put on a Chris Sharma, like something Chris Sharma. <laughs> like some, people filmed the craziest, nicest things about Chris Sharma and like how he inspired the world in climbing. Um, so he's definitely my favorite climber to watch. Um, but I would say my, my two favorite climbers, uh, I was going to say Nolly Hook Ataival is someone uh, who's a, a boulder of mine, or a, 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 my favorite boulder for sure to watch. And then Ramon de Grange is my favorite in lead. Um, and I was going to say my, uh, I think the most underrated and upcoming climbers are me and Ross. Cause, uh, <laughs> uh well, I do want to say in a, in a kind of more serious tone, I think what's really important to look for. And I do this as a coach and kind of like a scout in a way, um, because I want to be someone who adds to, to the competitive world of climbing, not necessarily, not, not necessarily only myself in competing but I want to be able to scout the best um, young athletes and be able to provide something for them, uh, some sort of insight or some sort of structure. Um, but what I look for in, in as a scout is not just something unique in terms of like how they see movement and their perspective, but also just like the grit and the love and like the want and the desire. And that's something that um, surprisingly, when I came to Salt Lake, uh, I think Ross and I had, I'll say, I'll just say it. I think Ross and I had uh, the most (laughs) of that. And I think we still will have that forever. And I think we'll push each other to have just like pure grit and pure passion. Um, And also just an open mind. I think Um, that's something that I think maybe talking to both of you, I get more and more of is just like having an open mind. Um, But I think if we're open-minded and passionate, I think Ross and I can be, some of the best in our generation. Um, All right. I like that. Just, just flexing on the pod, just we're the best or if we're not the best yet, we will be. Um, (laughs) We're we're learning to be the best. There you go, dude. That's the attitude. Um, I just got to just, just uh, echo the, the love of Chris Sharma as the, he was definitely my favorite climber. And, you know, I hinted at my origin story of coming from, uh, coming from gymnastics and that was right when Sharma was like really kind of coming up. He was, I was probably like, I was probably like 10 years old and he was maybe like 16 or 17. And as I mentioned, like the French were the, you know, they had that beautiful technique. They had three points on at all time. They were just, you know, Francois Legrand was like the man at the time. Uh, and he had the hardest American route he had done just do it. And seeing, Sharma come on the scene. He campused, he dynoed. And because I was from gymnastics, I had, I was really strong because gymnastics makes you strong, but my technique was terrible. And I just like, couldn't keep my feet on, but then seeing Chris, like leading the way is just being super burly and having what was considered quote unquote, like bad technique. I just, I love that. And to this day, my favorite climber, great ambassador for our sport. I think he did a, a lot to, to make climbing what it is. My next rapid fire question for you guys is 
just what's what's your most or here I'll ask you Ross what's your most memorable moment in climbing uh and I'd love to hear it both indoors and outdoors like what just really sticks out in your head as being just a a really a a really special time for you yeah so the the first thing that comes to mind is when Tim and I did uh half dome <laughs> this was actually with Connor's dad and his sister um but it was my first big wall experience was the Northwest face of half dome, like 13 pitches. Um, and going up there with Tim was such an like otherworldly experience in the sense that we had like no idea what we're doing and we're kind of in, in my mind, I'm like, Oh yeah, it's like 12 C is like the hardest pitch on, on this climb. Like that's nothing. Like that's what we, we could warm up on that and kind of be fine. And then getting up there and just feeling so uncomfortable and like completely um in over our heads in terms of like technical ability and like of crack climbing and just all of these new <laughs> systems and um types of climbing was was really fun and humbling <laughs> uh and we got to like the 12c pitches and there was just no way at all that we were doing these moves <laughs> so that was like well like we're good in the gym, but there's so many other parts of climbing that take uh, a lot of time and, and skills to, to master as well, or not to master, but just in order to, to be proficient at. <laughs> um, so that was a really, really fun experience and definitely like solidified my, my love of like adventure and just kind of testing out different types of, of climbing. Um, in the gym, I would just point to like all of the gym sessions in Europe where Tim and I got to meet like a ton of new people and have these like super, super fun sessions with 10 to 20 climbers from all around the world. And despite like language barriers and growing up different places and having completely different styles of climbing and everything, um, we always managed to like make up fun boulders together and and have a good time and kind of learn like as a group. So I think it's, it's pretty special when you can show up in a new country in a new gym you've never been at with new people that you've never talked to and immediately uh, like have a very <laughs> uh, like kind of connected session and, and bond over the sport of climbing and, and understanding moves and just pushing yourself. Yeah. For, for me, I think the, uh, the indoor session is such a such a hard question. Uh, memorable is is tough to say. Like what which, which of the indoors? Um, I do have one actually, but I w- I will say that uh, I'm I'm kind of with Ross. I think every every significant experience, new experience that we've had in climbing sessions are all just as profound and like just as special and just as like we we grow as just as much in every single one. Um, I think, but there was one that uh there's a competition called 24 hours of horseshoe hell and uh there's one that the the aaca or some something in the asca uh, america's association something like of uh, sports sport climbing safe sport climbing where they like were promoting like safe bolting and stuff they were doing this fundraiser event and uh they did a competition at planet granite belmont and you could just partner up with someone and basically like uh, you were invited to go to Planet Granite Belmont for 24 hours and just rack up points. And you also got bonus points if you did a climb every hour. 
like at least one climb every hour. So it just like, you know, disincentivizes you from taking a nap. <laughs> and uh, Ross partnered up with Sam and I partnered up with Brennan. And we did something, absurd. I think together as a group, we did like 350 laps on this one V9, like over 24 hours. And like Ross did like 10 laps or something on this 13A. And this was like five or six years ago, like <laughs> way back when. And uh, Ross probably, I think Ross racked up the most laps on the night itself. Um, you were in like the 90s or something? Yeah, I think I had, yeah, something like 80 or 90 laps on this one V9 because you got points. You could repeat a climb as many times as you want. Um, and like the harder the climb, the, the more points you got, obviously. Um, and then it was like kind of equivalent for ropes as well. So we found like, the the best v9 to lap and got our beta super dialed and just did it so many times it was ridiculous and then we'd go like take a 40 minute nap and then do another 20 laps on it and then like sleep for a half hour and then i ended up doing like 10 laps up this like heinously crimpy like vert 13a <laughs> where like you get off like the v9 and just go like destroy yourself <laughs> and oh my god yeah i've Thank you for bringing it up because that was such a funny experience. And that's honestly a great testament to Tim and I's like dedication and like competitiveness between each other where like if he hadn't been there, like I would not have done 90 laps. <laughs> like we were, we had, yeah, a lot more than anyone else at that comp. And it was like, what do you do? just like any other competition, Ross and I like go around and like scheme and strategize and like, Oh, what are we going to do? Like, which climbs first? Like, and I remember I see, I saw this nine and I was like, guys, like that's the one we're going to do. And everyone's like, dude, that's V nine. Like you can't do V nine, like for 24 hours. And I was like, but look at the holds, look at the moves. Like we got this. And I remember we did it a couple of times and it was actually kind of hard. It wasn't soft really like, but we were figuring it out and figuring out the nuances. And I think slowly the belief just started to kick in and we were like, yeah, we could do this. Like, four times an hour like for sure for 24 hours at least um and we pretty much did like we pretty much did every single hour we did like at least an, a lap or two um and brendan sam too it was it was super special and i remember we got to find pictures of this like there was tape on like we had tape and super glue on every one of our fingertips and and i almost never climbed with tape or glue and we were bleeding cracking out of every it, it was the most horrendous amount of pain i've ever been in from climbing it was absurd. I think one, uh, <laughs> one of the first photos on my Instagram is of all of us just like literally asleep on the crash pads, like underneath the mats in the morning. Like I had for sure never stayed up an entire night before. And like that morning we were just so utterly exhausted and destroyed. It was a very memorable night. That is absolutely insane that you guys climbed V9 like a hundred times in a day while climbing 13a in between uh yeah that's uh it's pretty ridiculous definitely sounds like you guys were extremely psyched definitely uh would not have joined you on that <laughs> yeah my, my most memorable climbing outside moment was absolutely too big to flail uh it was kind of in the heart of covid and it was it was difficult to even think about traveling and like creating plans and trips and it was silly of me to think that I could do something like that big with you. I think you need a lot of people. You need a lot of support. You need a lot of people bringing pads out and like, you know, just to, to trust and like know that they can carry you out if something goes wrong. Um, but too big to fail was a dream of mine. And uh, doing that, I did that uh, last December or not, not like a month ago, but uh, did it about a year, uh, a year and a month ago. Um, 
And it was special because, because of COVID and because of the kind of the trip that we had and the logistics, um, it was the first like big highball moment where I was absolutely confident that I was going to do it. I called my mom actually to see if she could come out and like, you know, just watch and, and, uh, and just watch me do it. And I only called a, a few specific people. I think I, I must've had a record low pads, uh, amount of pads doing it, uh, which is not something to, to brag about, but, um, it's just cause I couldn't get any more pads out there and got as many as I could without inviting, you know, an illegal amount of people, which we already did. Um, but yeah, it was special, like just doing it. Um, I was lucky that Nina Williams was out there. She was, it was special. She, she wanted to come and support, um, bring pads and like help just kind of explain what she was doing and like kind of her philosophy on it. Um, but sending that climb and just like being there in that day in the setup, uh, that also was a catalyst for like thinking of other highball projects for me, um, and seeing like what might be possible and kind of pushing the, the headspace there. Um, but that was absolutely without a doubt, like my, my most memorable climbing experience. Yeah. I don't, I don't blame you. Nothing quite like, um, facing serious injury or death and coming through it, not just unscathed, but like with confidence and flow and just when you really put yourself out there and then you feel really good doing it, that's, that's special. And and also for those of you who haven't been up there and seen it, it is just a gorgeous piece of rock It is just beautiful. And the background and setting, uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't think anyone who's a climber hasn't walked past that and not had a little, you know, little dream of, of going up there, just staying at the base and being awed by its height. So yeah, dude, good on you. My, my hands are sweating. I totally, uh, totally <laughs> want to go do that someday, but I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm willing to hang it out there that far right now. Well, uh, to wrap it up, my, my last question is just kind of along the theme of this podcast. You know, we're, here we're, we're really focusing on high level climbing, going from good to great. And, you know, what it takes to, to go from semifinals to finals, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a different journey than going from qualifiers to semifinals. And I know you guys are still in the midst of going from, you know, uh, really good to the top of the world, as you guys just told me that'll be, you know, just waiting for it. So, uh, yeah. Any, any thoughts on, on what it takes to, to go from good to great? There's no such thing as a rapid fire question with Tim. Yeah, I was just I was just thinking that these are all rapid fire questions, but we could talk about all these things for so long. Um, but from good to great, man, uh, that's 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 super tough. I think if I had to pick one thing, if I had to pick one thing, I think it's I think it's self self belief. Um, I think it's just acknowledging where you are, who you are, loving yourself, loving what you're doing, and just just knowing that you are going to improve. Um, and like, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not this month, but you like, you are going to, um, and just believing that, believing that everything that you go through has, has a purpose for your journey, wherever it wants to be. Um, I think, you know, almost the point of that is just to like, remove yourself from the fact that you're going from good to great. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is that you believe in yourself and you believe your ability to improve. You believe your ability to have accountability. Um, yeah, I think, I don't think I've really thought about it in this way where you have just one thing. Um, but that, that overarching thing, I think I'm kind of thinking about like 
uh, people like Ross, honestly, is like uh, maybe maybe where he has struggled, uh, but but maybe where he extremely excels is at the same time, um, and like where he's grown and specifically pushed himself is a lot of it is like just his self belief and like nowadays you can ask him like how he thinks about training and how he thinks about competition. Um, and you can ask him five years ago and it's not the same thing. Um, and I think a lot of that is his self-belief has just improved so much. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely a, a progression. I guess if I could only choose one thing, um, and obviously I think, yeah, it, it would have been very different a couple of years ago, but um, right now I think the the biggest thing that I would recommend is having a lot of like self-awareness, like the, the mind body connection is, is so, so strong. And when you get to the point where you can understand like the impact of your own thoughts and how that affects your climbing and your motivation, it becomes a lot easier to like learn how to learn and be receptive to like any sort of obstacles that, that come in your way. Like once you understand that, like when you're frustrated or when you're feeling like dejected or unmotivated, um, once you understand that that's really like a cue that like what you're doing is like something you need to be working on and something that's like obviously challenging for you. So like you should double down on it, then you can really start to <laughs> progress and, um, kind of shore up any like weak links and, and, uh, like just get better at what you're, you're bad at. Like, it's all about <laughs> loving, like getting better. And there's no better way to get better than like working on your, on your weaknesses. But yeah, there's no better way <laughs> to, to improve than kind of working on, on your weaknesses. And that takes a lot of like discipline to, to understand that and like hold yourself accountable when you're feeling like insecure or like un unsure about any sort of training or move or situation. Yeah. It's, it's really tempting to uh, just lean into your success. And when you're good at something, you just want to show that off uh, versus, you know, like you mentioned in that one uh, vlog where flexibility was something that you weren't so good at. And, you know, that rather than seeing that as something to avoid, you really lean into that. So I, I just, I really like that. It's funny what you guys said almost mirrors kind of like you guys combine mirrors, the two cents I was going to throw in where I think it's about being almost irrationally optimistic that, that confidence and that belief I'm actually, I'm infamous among my friends where I'll walk up to a V13 and be like, Oh, dude, I think I can flash this. And they're like, Josh, you're, you're probably not going to flash this. Dude. I was like, no, but I think I can. Um, and combining that with, just brutal, honest self-assessment, just saying like, if I suck at this, you know, I can't ignore it. I have to do something about it. And it's, I think it's really interesting. I feel like you guys, <laughs> yeah, you guys have this interesting kind of partnership where clearly uh, you're both finding your own paths to uh, a similar level of success, but you guys are unique and different and uh, it's, it's fun seeing those different sides of you. Yeah, that was so, so well put. And I think we could do a whole another series of podcasts just on that topic. And hearing you say that definitely, 
yeah, it makes me realize how complimentive, how complimentative, is that how you say that? Um, there you go. I like it. Tim and I's kind of perspectives are in the sense that I'm like, I think I, I see like our, our weaknesses or see what we could learn and like want to get better at them. And then together we're like super, super optimistic and believe in ourselves that we can actually improve those things. So that's why like, it's, it's almost fun to, it is fun to like challenge yourself and try and find those weak areas because then we're like optimistic, optimistic enough and believe in ourselves enough where we know we can make those improvements. So like every day when we're in the gym, like I'm psyched when I suck at something because it means I have a new thing to work on and I know I'm going to get better at that because that's what we've practiced is getting better at things that we're bad at. So it, that's so meta. It is like that cycle (laughs) just compounds and that's why it's really important to be like creative and push yourselves because you learn the most when you're like failing and not failing. You, you learn the most when you are being like challenged. And then once you combine those challenges with the, the ability to like get better then it becomes very powerful. Yeah. I think, I think I heard Ross uh, just invite himself again to our podcast so <laughs> at the start of that so yeah, we're gonna have plenty more to talk about yeah you guys are are a great duo you guys bring uh, a ton of interesting thing to the climbing world the vlog is amazing uh keep doing more my pro tip is for everyone to go watch that vlog and then come here the behind the scenes here uh and yeah we'd love to have you back on ross that's just too good and i can't wait to see you guys continue to progress and hopefully uh, we'll all go to Paris 2024. I'll be cheering you guys on from the stands, but hopefully you guys will be up there on the wall. I can't wait. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Good stuff, you guys. Talk again soon. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about Test Piece Climbing, you can check us out at testpiececlimbing.com and even book a session with one of our coaches. 